Mark chapter 7 this morning, verse number 24. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, I want to speak to you on how to have great faith. Mark 7, 24. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to take the one in front of you there in the seat. Same translation that I'm reading from up here this morning. And as always, if you don't have a Bible at all and uh, need one, take that with you. Our gift to you. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Father God, thank you for the wonderful miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for each of these stories that we've read in Mark and for how we learn from each of them. Uh, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty Savior. And so I pray as we look at this uh, yet another wonderful uh, event that took place in the ministry of our Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us and teach us. Help me, Father. Fill me with your Spirit. Forgive me for any sin that would, uh, would hinder my usefulness today. and Just make me a vessel that can be used today. Help me to teach clearly and accurately and practically and and powerfully help me to say what I should and protect me from saying anything I ought not. And uh, when it's all over, I pray the only thing people know about or hear about or think about is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so speak to us and teach us today, we pray in his name. Amen. Here we have another amazing story from the life of Jesus. We've seen quite a few of them now as we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And in this case, we find him in Gentile territory. I think this is the only recorded time when that occurred. And here, once again, he's attempting to spend some time alone with his disciples. When something occurs, he's interrupted. A woman appears. And we know that this seemed to be an interruption, uh, at least to the disciples, but I think perhaps even to him, by their initial reactions. We don't see it so much here in Mark, but this story is also told in Matthew, and there's some additional detail there. And uh, Matthew makes it clear. Uh, We're told there that the disciples did not want her there. And they even asked Jesus specifically to send her away, Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. And here in verse number 27, we see uh, in the the Mark's account, we see Jesus seeming to be saying, let me spend some time with my disciples, then you can have a turn. I don't know if that's the right interpretation of that or not, but that's what he seems to be saying there. In the midst of this story, we see that Jesus uttered a hard saying. There are several places in the Bible where we have hard sayings from Jesus, but this is one of them. Jesus actually, in verse number 27, called this woman a dog. Did you catch that? She called her a dog. Now, he did not use the contemptible term for a dog, which the Jews normally would use uh, when discussing Gentiles. They, uh, they had a word for that, uh, which is translated dog. He actually used a more enduring endearing term for a dog, such as we would use of our beloved pets, which is why in the New King James Version it's translated little dogs. But but no matter how you look at it, he called her dog. I mean, we can water it down a little bit, but he called her dog. And so he uttered a hard saying there, and we'll talk about that. Another interesting thing that took place here is he healed 
at a distance without speaking a word. The demon has gone out of your daughter, verse 29. He explained that it had happened, but he didn't say or do anything outwardly to make it happen. As in other occasions here, he didn't even move. He didn't get up from the table. He didn't do anything. Done. Healed from a distance. Significantly in this story, this is one of only two places in the Bible where Jesus used the term great faith. Now, we don't see that here in Mark, but rather in Matthew's telling of the event. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Both times Jesus said somebody had great faith, they were Gentiles. That's interesting. Mark says very plainly here that she was a Greek, a Syrophoenician, verse number 26, meaning that she was a Gentile, uh, a Syrian from uh, Phoenicia. The other time Jesus used the term great faith to describe somebody who's also a Gentile, it was the Roman centurion in uh, Matthew chapter 8. In verse number 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. It's that phrase I want us to concentrate on a little bit this morning. That phrase, great faith, the fact that Jesus called this woman's faith great. Oh, woman, great is your faith. I wonder, what is it that made her faith so great? And, and, and what can we do uh, to make sure that our faith uh, is similar? And, and I would like to suggest just three things, three things that I think perhaps made her faith great. First of all, I suggest her faith was a humble faith. A humble faith, and it was humble for several reasons. One of the reasons is because it did recognize its place. Jesus called her a dog. We cannot, we can't get away from that. And I've had various conversations. I asked the elders this morning. I asked people in the FBC 101 class, you know, just trying just try to pick people's brain. What do you think about that, that Jesus called her a dog? And all kinds of answers came back. Inevitably, certain conclusions get drawn when you talk about this with, with different groups of people. And certain questions will be asked. Questions like, well, was Jesus anti-woman to say a thing like that? Uh, was he a racist? Talking about the Gentiles? Or was Jesus just being mean here? That's the one that perhaps most comes to mind. Was he just being nasty with this woman? Of course, every one of those questions sticks in our throat, doesn't it? Because there's no way that we can believe that the all-perfect Son of God would do any of those things or be any of those things. The Bible tells me that he does, he's done all things well, that in him was light and that he was tempted in all ways such as we are yet without sin. And so we know, no, no, that cannot be true. When we consider the character of the Savior, we know he wasn't trying to insult her. And so if that's true, then he must have been uttering something else that was true in some way when he called her a dog. And I suggest to you that she was a dog and that she recognized herself as such. Look at verse number 28. What does it say? Yes, Lord. She recognized it. Yes, Lord. It shows her recognition. It shows her admission. Yes, Lord, I am a dog. In the, same sense, in, in the sense that she was a Gentile, that would have been an apt characterization, at least in that culture, 
but also as in the sense that she was a sinner. John MacArthur in his, Bible, in his uh, uh, study Bible says this, she knew she was sinful and undeserving of any of God's blessings. And I would suggest that's the start of great faith right there. She recognized how desperately she needed him and how little she offered. And I would also suggest that in the same sense, you and I are dogs as well. We are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We quote those verses in almost every sermon, I think, in this place. And yet they say that to us, don't they? The first step in having great faith is to recognize our need as she did. We don't deserve anything from God. And we come asking only for his grace and only for his mercy none of which we can or have earned. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. So this woman's faith was humble, first of all, in that she recognized her place for, before God. I think also this woman's faith was humble in that she sought help from God. After all, she could have gone all other, all kinds of other places. Many today will seek God only after they've exhausted every other possible uh, source of help. She could have done that. She could have been like King Asa in the Old Testament. You remember King Asa? He was one of the good kings of Judah. Now listen to what the Bible says about him in Second Chronicles 14. So Abijah rested with his fathers, and, and they buried him in the city of David. And then Asa, his son, reigned in his states, in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He was a good king, righteous, believer. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. I always find that a fascinating little detail in the Old Testament. He sought help from the wrong place. He didn't turn to God. And this woman, uh, unlike Asa, knew where to turn for help. You know, some would have been too proud to ask. Still today, people... People don't turn to the Lord Jesus Christ because of pride. The preaching of the gospel goes forth uh, as, as clearly as you can make it. And the understanding that, uh, that we're lost might be in our hearts and our minds. The Holy Spirit might be applying it to our life. We know we might need to respond. The invitation might be given, and yet multitudes of people stand paralyzed and don't move because of pride. But she wasn't that way. She cared not what others thought and humbly sought help from the only one who could provide it. I think her faith was also humble because she was not offended at the solution. When Jesus spoke to her, it was quick, and it was to the point. There was no fanfare. There was no touch. There was no miracle of any kind that you could see and believe. It was just kind of a like in The Princess Bride, as you wish. Nothing. Nothing else. Go home now. And she might have thought to herself, What? Is that it? Is he not going to do something? Just done. Go on. And, of course, we know from reading that it, it, it was the miracle, but there was nothing for her to see, and, 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 and she believed it. She was not tripped up by the simplicity of his response. I'm reminded of Naaman in the Old Testament, Naaman the Syrian who, who had uh, leprosy. And one day his little maid said to him, you know, there's, there's a prophet in Israel, his name is Elisha. If you'll go and talk to him, he might be able to heal you of that leprosy. 
And so Naaman went off, and he met with Elisha. And Elisha said, go down to the Jordan, wash. And Naaman said, what? That's it? He said, I thought, I thought he would come out and lay his hands on me. He would strike the place. He would do something. But that? Just go wash? And his little maid said, well, you know, if he'd said to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? Go and do the simple thing. And so he did. And the Bible says he came away clean. So many people are tripped up by the simplicity of the gospel. And the fact is the cross is an offense to many because of that. Some can't come to grips with the fact that Jesus paid it all and there's nothing all nothing we need to accept believe. Some people struggle over that. To some it's too good to be true. It's too easy. I remember reading one time where John R. Rice was, was uh, accosted by somebody who accused him of, uh, of preaching easy believism. And John R. Rice's reply to them was to say, uh, you're right, but there's nothing easy about it. Jesus had to die. There was nothing easy about that. And yet some, for some, the fact that Jesus did all the heavy lifting and we need only accept salvation by faith is a stumbling block, but not for her. He said, done, go. And she went, and her daughter was healed. This woman had a faith that was humble, and from that we are reminded that great faith approaches the Savior in just that way, humbly. Her, her, her faith was humble in that she recognized how very undeserving she was, that she sought help from the only one who could provide it, and she was not offended at the solution. She simply humbly believed in that is great faith. The other example of great faith that we mentioned, the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, he demonstrated the same humble approach. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. His great faith started the same way, humbly. Well, there's another thing I think that made her faith great, and that is that she believed in spite of opposition. She believed in spite of opposition. Did you notice all the opposition that she faced here? It's not, all, it's not all clear in Mark. You have to go to Matthew, I admit, to see some of this. But, but when we compare those two accounts in Matthew and Mark, it becomes clear. She had a lot of pushback to overcome before she ever received an answer to her request. First of all, you notice from verse 24, Jesus was hard to be found. Hard to be found. He was hiding. That's interesting, isn't it? He was attempting to hide and spend some time alone with his disciples. He had taken pains to avoid detection. And so I, I can't imagine what she had to do to find him. She had to seek him out. Verse 24 implies she had a hurdle to get over just to get there in the first place. And then when she did find him, when she was able to at last utter her request, he ignored her. He ignored her. Again, we have to go to Matthew to see that. But uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. Now imagine getting all keyed up and going and finding and, and struggling to find him in the first place. And then you finally get in and you get an audience and you make your request. And he just acts like you're not even in the room. He ignored her. He answered her. Not a word. And then if that wasn't bad enough, she hears the disciples chime in and ask him to send her away. Matthew fifteen twenty three. his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. And then when Jesus did respond, he, he, he did finally speak, but he seemed to ignore her and her request and seemed to just talk to the disciples about that thing that they had just said. He answered and said, I am not sent, but under the law, sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 15, 24. Now, I could be wrong about that. You can study that on your own and see what you think. I think he was talking to the disciples there. Uh, if you look at the, at the way that flowed, 
Matthew seems to describe. The disciples said, send her away. Then he spoke. It's, it really seems to me like he was still ignoring her and speaking to them. And then finally, as if to add insult to injury, when he does speak to her, he calls her dog and says she would have to wait her turn. Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And so, so we see all these different things that she had to, to get past. And I think one of the things that made her faith great was that she believed in spite of that. She believed in spite of opposition. Job had a similarly great faith in spite of all the trials and troubles he faced. He could say one day, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Paul had a similarly great faith in the midst of much suffering and opposition. He could say, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Great faith believes in spite of opposition. Great faith believes no matter what. It's that faith that saves. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and and you will be saved, you and your household. It's that faith that brings answers to prayer. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. It's that faith that Jesus said can move mountains. Amazing. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, one last thought. Her faith was a persistent faith. Persistent. Only yes was an acceptable answer to her. She was not going to give up. When she came into town and she asked where Jesus was, and people shrugged and said, I I know not. Uh, Perhaps I saw him, you know, over there on the street somewhere, but I have no idea where he's staying. I don't know where he is. She didn't give up. She kept going until she found him. Imagine the joy when she found where he was, entered the room and saw him there falling at his feet and pleading for her daughter, and then watched confused as he acted like she wasn't even there. But she didn't give up. She heard the disciples plotting to have her removed from the premises, and she must have been frightened by that prospect, but she didn't give up. And she listened to the reply that Jesus made. She was not one of the children, therefore not a priority. She could have given up, but she did not. She kept asking. Because she had a persistent faith, and that's what made her faith great. Warren Wiersbe said, great faith is faith that takes God at his word and will not let go until God meets the need. Great faith can lay hold of even the slightest encouragement and turn it into a fulfilled promise. You can't read very far in your Bibles before you discover that there's an awful lot of people who demonstrated that kind of persistence in their faith. Never given up. We read of Jacob wrestling with an angel, and we see that kind of persistent faith. He said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Have you ever had that kind of faith with God? We see the same persistence in Elijah praying for rain. rain. Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud, as small as a man's hand, rising out of the sea. And so he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. James was explaining that in James chapter 5. And he said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. 
persistence in praying. Jesus taught the importance of that kind of persistence in faith. He said, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. And we've talked about that verse many times and pointed out that in the original language, that's literally keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And so in these and Many other places we could look in Scripture, we learn that great faith just never gives up. Such was the faith of this woman. She refused to quit. And many Christians just quit too soon. Sometimes the victory occurs in the fourth quarter. Or, as Super Bowl 51 would remind us, sometimes after the fourth quarter. Sometimes victory occurs even after the game is over. Samson's greatest victory took place in his death and immediately after his death. So do you see it? This woman never gave up, and neither should we. Let us not be weary in well-doing, Paul said, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so what is it that you need from God? What is it that you need? Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Great faith is humble faith. Great faith believes in spite of opposition. And great faith persists until it receives. 